Well, welcome once again to Resonant Frequency, the Amateur Radio Podcast. My name is Richard, KB5JBV, and I am your host. I'd like to say hello to everybody out there, including the folks in uh, Europe and Asia. We've uh, really seemed to develop, have developed a following out that direction. Uh, I really don't know what happened to our listeners in Sydney, but I know that the majority of the rest of Australia is well represented. Uh, folks in Adelaide, Tasmania, uh, southern South Australia, uh, we got, we're kind of sparse on the, on the West end, but you know what? Those guys will get with it sooner or later. Alrighty, uh, well, let's start off with the Frapper Map. Say hello to the folks that took the time. Uh, first of all, I'd like to say hello to Joe, AF1E, in Conover, North Carolina. Uh, good to have you aboard, Joe. I uh, see you're on the KI4WXS D-Star repeater, uh, Port B, out there in Conover, and I'm sure enough going to make an attempt at some point over the next week or so to get a hold of you and kind of glad hand you over there. Uh, We also have KC8HWC in Lebanon, Ohio. Lebanon, Ohio. Uh, Greg in Tinley Park, Illinois. Uh, Greg, best I could tell, Greg is uh, in the process of working with some guys to get an MCOM group together and going out there and uh, really glad to hear it. MCOM is one of the reasons we're here, folks. <laughs> Go look at the rules. It'll tell you. And uh, it's nice to hear that somebody's out there actively working to uh, put us in a better position up in Illinois. Uh, I myself wish that from time to time I was up in that part of the world because I'm a member of Saturn and uh, Red Cross has really got it sewed up down here. But up north, Salvation Army is the ones that uh, really kick it. Alrighty, and we have Ian in Beckley, West Virginia. Welcome aboard, Ian. And Niles. Niles, uh, DH6NB. And and I'm go- you're going to be the winner, Niles. Castle, Hassia, Germany. Castle, Hassia, Germany. And let me tell you about the guys out in Germany. I've been watching that. There's repeaters coming up regularly. Uh, new D-Star machines coming up regularly out there in Germany. Thanks to the internet, we can kind of see what's going on with those. And uh, let me tell you, it's really expanding. Now I have a note here on my list about D-Star, and I can't remember what it was. Oh, it was about Germany. It was about, uh, uh, let's see. It was about Joe up in Conover. Got those two out of the way. And KI6BGE. Hey, buddy. Send me an email or key up your radio or something so I can find you over at dstarusers.org because I sure enough like to talk to you if I can figure out what machine you were on. Alrighty, uh, next we got donations. Uh, this time around we have had donations come in from Tim, KI6BGE, who I was just talking about. Thank you very much, uh, Tim. And uh, also Bill and Bobby down in uh, Austin. Uh, N5ALO and K5ALO down in Austin sent us uh, a uh, donation this month. Let me tell y'all, these donations are important. Okay, I know I was real skittish about even asking about it when uh, we first fired things up. Go back and listen to the first few episodes. It terrified me to even ask y'all. Uh, we have accepted. We have received. Uh, quite a few donations over the last months and it really makes me feel good because we're getting to the point that we're running out of room on the server where we host the podcast and to uh, be able to get more room there it's going to cost us more every month luckily i've talked to the uh, the bookkeeper here at resonant frequency who is also the editor uh the cook um the one that can really swing a skillet and she has agreed to let us upgrade our uh, storage, and within the next sometime this month, we're going to be upgrading our storage so that we have room and don't have to lose any of the episodes off the uh, other end for quite a while. 
One thing I will let y'all know is that uh, when we go ahead and upgrade it, I'm going to eliminate episode 5.5 and 5.5.5 because those were just announcements about us being down uh, due to a problem we had back then. I'd also like to uh, let y'all know on donations if you'll go over to if you would like to make a donation to Resonant Frequency, the amateur radio podcast, to help cover costs on this, every penny you send to Resonant Frequency goes right back in. And uh, you know, I was worried for a long time I was going to have to go out and hunt up some advertising, but uh, y'all have been able to keep that from happening, and I really, really appreciate it. Go over to the blog. There's a button up at the corner top of the page where you can click on PayPal. <coughs> And go on over and drop us a donation. You can do an e-check, uh, a credit card, uh, just about any way you can make a make a payment online. They will accept it over there, and we get 100% of that. They, I've also added to the top of the blog a link to click through to Amazon.com. Now, I know some of you guys out there, y'all, y'all buy books. I'm a book buyer myself. I like a nice, solid piece of printed material in my hand. Uh, there's others that go over and buy CDs and DVDs and, and that kind of stuff. And uh, I appreciate every single one of y'all out there. But if you'll go there, go to our blog site, then click that link through to Amazon.com. Anything you purchase at Amazon.com resonant frequency will get a percentage of that sale it doesn't cost us anything it doesn't cost you any more money and i believe it's four percent of every sale over at amazon.com after you click through that particular uh, link will come to resonant frequency the amateur radio podcast okay next up we've got oh yeah cody cody is Cody is in the news again. Well, he's in the news here anyway. And uh, it's a really cool situation where Cody's concerned. Uh, If y'all don't remember, Cody Cody is the, uh, well, doggone it. Cody's one of the folks that uh, started an amateur radio club at... uh, Lafayette Middle School out there in uh, Lafayette, Georgia. Uh, KI4TVE is his call sign. The Rambler Radio Club, KI4TEY. And uh, I received an email from him and one of his section managers stating that they have been awarded an education and technology program grant from the ARRL. This will uh, put them in a position where they can uh, purchase some newer equipment, and upgrade, do some upgrades around the radio shack and everything else. I really like seeing these young people getting involved in amateur radio because, doggone, they're the future of the hobby, y'all. <laughs> if, uh, you know, those of y'all keep working, those of y'all who have uh, been attempting to work with the schools and stuff locally in your area, trying to get them to uh, uh, let you get a radio club going keep plugging away because that right there is a success story uh we have a really hard time with them when we go to talk to them here in mesquite but uh ever school i think ever school ought to have this type of technology based uh club structure involved because not only does it teach electronics it also teaches problem solving skills and everything else you know us ham radio operators, we are the problem solvers. Okay, uh, another piece of email I received is from Dave, W12Q, Whiskey India 2, Quebec. And it reads as follows Hi, Richard. Enjoyed listening, uh, enjoy listening to your podcast now and again. This latest one, I believe he's talking to the one previous to the last one, uh, covered Elmering in one of the uh, one of your segments and i thought that 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 was really good yesterday before listening to your podcast my article on the same subject was posted 
at the homepage of awrl.net. If you get a chance to, if you get a chance, take a peek. It covers a lot of what you were talking about. If you'd like to use any or all of it in one of your podcasts, have at it. Just started to listen to you via iTunes. Uh, good job. Keeps interest and is very informative. Stick with it. And that's uh, Dave. Dave, thank you for the flowers, my man. Uh, positive input. That's the second driving, the second most uh, important driving force in in this particular endeavor. Uh, it really makes me wanna wanna jump in the chair and start recording. Okay, I think I got all the email. So let's go to ah the Harperay. In the month of uh, January, I believe it was, there was a test of the Harperay, which uh, is a project that's based in Alaska. Most of you know about it. For those who don't, it's a a, a, a transmitter station located in Alaska, which uh, runs a considerable amount of power. And we as amateur radio operators were asked to listen on one of the weekends, I believe. Yeah, it was last month. And uh, see if we could hear the echoes coming back from the moon. They were trying to bounce signals off the moon. Well, I was listening to one of the podcasts I listen to normally, which uh, happens to be Paranormal Cafe, which airs on a, uh, a radio station on the East Coast. And one of the guests was a fellow named Jerry E. Smith. Well, Jerry's a conspiracy nut. And Jerry is uh, has made uh, quite a bit of money writing books sensationalizing weather warfare. And the thing that caught my interest, and I normally wouldn't bring this up, the thing that got, caught my interest is that we are now pawns of the government. You got it. Amateur radio operators are pawns of the government. We uh, were involved in a secret test of the Harper A. The amateur radio community was. Now, as I was listening to this, I was thinking about how funny it was because uh, nothing we do is secret. We're not allowed to be secret. It's against the rules and regulations, and none of us wants to get in trouble. And I'm sorry, I'm on my soapbox. I had to get off on commentary. I promise not to be long. This guy, anything associated with this harp array, which he thinks is some giant uh, covert uh, piece of equipment which is designed to use weather or manipulate weather and use it against our enemies, even though there are several more of these stations around the world where they do stuff like that. Uh, Arecibo, another place in South America, I can't remember where it is, several others. <clears throat> and I'm sorry about that. Uh, I spent some time in East Texas last week in pine trees, and I don't agree. However, not to get off subject, uh, this Jerry E. Smith got on there and got to talking about how we were involved in this secret test and we were pawns of the government and everything else. So, here's what I would like y'all to do if y'all are interested in this, if it bothers you in the least. Uh, go over to iTunes or your favorite podcast, uh, uh, where you get your favorite podcast. Uh, download the January 24th episode of Paranormal Cafe. Uh, actually, there's two hours of it, but this is the first hour, and that's when amateur radio is mentioned. And uh, give it a listen. I would also invite you to go to his website after you listen and leave a few dirty comments. Dirtier the better. Well, yeah, we're a podcast. I'm not on there, so I can say that. The dirtier the better. And uh, maybe just maybe we'll get his attention and he'll leave us out of the loop we haven't bothered him he needs to not bother us let him go write his books and leave us alone now if he would like to write a book on uh, how the harper a operates which really cool y'all a lot of antennas five megawatts megawatts yeah buddy 
anyway, if he'd like to write a book on that, I'd be interested in seeing it. But other than that, he needs to leave us out of it. Okay, so we did the Frapper Map, D-Star. Looks like we're pretty good, everybody on the Frapper Map. Let me say one more time about the Frapper Map. If uh, I missed you, shoot me an email. We'll make sure we get you on there now. There are so many people on the Frapper Map now that it's kind of hard to catch every new person that signs up. But please, please, everybody, go stick a pin in the map. Go stick a pin in the map because we want to see it. Okay? And Tim, one more time, keep your radio, man. Can't find you if you don't. All right. I think I've ran and raved and thanked the folks I needed to thank. And with that, I think we will move on to the next segment. segment formerly known as Buzzword, I think we're going to talk about GuyWire. Um, GuyWire. We all know them, we all love them. Uh, however, I was recently doing some training or writing a piece of training for uh, our local races net and it had to do with a, a simplex drill of all things. But in the process, I uh, put down on my written training material, my notes, guy wire. When I passed it on to my editor uh, so she could clean it up a little for me, she pointed out that, uh, you know, all the usual things were wrong. I had a period in the wrong place and forgot to capitalize somewhere. But when I got the piece of training back, she had changed guy wire, G-Y wire, to guide G-U-I-D-E wire. And this struck me uh, as a little odd because I'd never heard it called that. Uh, I'd always heard them called guy wires. So I decided to go in and do a little research. And what I found out was that they are in fact called guy wires. And the term comes from uh, ropes and things that were used in the rigging of ships. And that's about as far as far back as I can track it at this time. Um, uh, they use a, a guy wires for uh, holding up masts and uh, the lower portions of the booms that attach to the sails and things like that. So, uh, as usual, we borrowed a term from somewhere else, which... When amateur radio came in back in the early part of the last century, uh, it was a brand new thing, so we had to start uh, improvising. But I, like I said, I went to digging around, and what I found was a uh, guy wire or guy rope is a tension to cable designed to add stability to a truck to a structure. One end of the cable is attached to the structure and the other end is anchored to the ground at a distance from the structure's base. They are often configured radially around the structure, for those uh, that didn't get that because I'm a little mush-mouthed. Normally in pairs or uh, groups of three, even uh, four at a time or more. Now you have as many guy wires as you want, I guess, to offset uh, the tension of the others. Um, normally something like a, a roof antenna, one you would pick, uh, you would point at your local TV station. <laughs> That'll mess some of y'all up. Um, uh, they normally have three, 
because they don't stick up very far. On some very high structures, flight safety markers on the guy wires themselves are necessary. You know, really high structures. Shorter, sturdier structures, such as uh, electrical utility poles, may require only a single guy wire to offset the pull of the electrical wires. Uh, and then it goes on about mass for VHF and UHF and uh, mass for VLF and LF and MF. Anyway, the whole point is um, a guy wire is there to promote structural stability in your mast or tower or whatever. Um, you know, I've, ha I've heard the old expression... When you have a self-supporting tower, you don't want to put guy wires on it because when you put guy wires on it, it's no longer self-supporting. But just about everything else needs some sort of guy wires. Um, I don't have as many as I need here, here at my location, but it's enough to do the job. So, uh, metal guy wires. Uh, one thing you have to watch out for with metal guy wires is that they can interact with the signal coming off of your antenna. Any metal structure, any, in fact, any structure of any kind, can um, affect the radiation pattern of your antenna, and guy wires are no different. One of the greatest things that's come along in the last few years is black Dacron UV rope. Because the black Dacron rope, even though it's not as sturdy as a good old-fashioned metal guy wire, it doesn't interact with the antenna or the radiation pattern off the antenna. The other side of it is, if you're using metal guy wires, that's all fine and good. You just need to make sure that the guy wires are not uh, a quarter length or a half length or three quarter length wavelength of the frequencies you operate on. And that's easy enough to accomplish. You know, you can just bust your guy wires up into separate sections. Uh, some of us want to run out there and throw 50 feet of guy wire on uh, on our poles, and normally that's pretty good. But you have to think, 50 feet, 40 meters is about 63 feet, somewhere in that neighborhood. 20 meters is about 30-something feet, and, uh, and that's just a quarter wave. So you may be getting into something somewhere in the neighborhood of that quarter, half, three-quarter wavelength area that might very well cause a problem. Now, what kind of problem can it cause new guys? For the new guys, <clears throat> even if you don't have an antenna directly driven, you can induce uh, a signal on that element. Uh, they call it sympathetic radiation, I believe. And sympathetic radiation just simply means that it's the right length to vibrate at the frequency you're putting out. So it's always better if you can. And on VHF and UHF, it's not really such a big deal because um, the wavelengths the wavelengths are so short that these sections of uh, guy wire are probably not going to make such a big difference, but it is possible to put up a guy wire on HF that is a quarter wavelength long. Take a ceramic insulator and cut the guy wire in an odd place and put the insulator in line. Once the insulator is in line, you've changed the electrical length of the wire, and sympathetic radiation is probably not going to be a big issue. Okay. So, now we've had a little history of guy wires. We uh, know pretty much where they came from, how we borrowed the phrase. You know, it's not just us. You don't hear it as commonly, but even, even the ropes that hold a tent up are called guy ropes. So, y'all keep on plugging away with guy ropes and guy wires because that's, that's the way it... Uh, way it ought to click. Now, we, we've gone through the history, we've had an explanation, we know what they're for, and we've even talked about uh, inter them interacting with your radio signals. Everybody go out and put some guy wires up. It's definitely uh, something that'll really help you out and 
recently we put up a an HF antenna over at my father's house that was over 20 feet long, which really should have had some guy ropes on it and stuff. Uh, consequently, I'm gonna have to go back over there and we're gonna have to do it again because we bent the pole it was on. So, run out and get you some Dacron rope, run up to the run up to the radio shack and pick yourself up some guy wire order them dog bones on in y'all have a boss other than that i can't think of a whole lot more to say about guy wires in fact i bet y'all probably didn't think that i could talk for almost nine minutes on guy wires but um i was able to so with that uh, we'll probably go ahead and move on to the next segment long ago I received an email at the uh, at the uh, podcast email address and it was hey you did a great love the podcast that kind of thing but they also spent the time to drop a show suggestion on me and I spent some time considering it and thinking about it and the suggestion was what about Hidden or low-profile antennas. Uh, stealth antennas is what they call them nowadays. So uh, I put, spent some time considering and thinking about it. And to tell you the truth, they haven't changed a whole heck of a lot since I got licensed. What has changed is nowadays people uh, allow other people to tell them what they can do with their property. And I never have quite understood that because there's no place that I need to live uh, badly enough that I would give up my rights to live, a, live to do what I want to on my property. However, there are people who dwell in apartments, and I've had to deal with those challenges also. Uh, I did, in my younger years, rent one or two houses where I had to be careful what I did radio-wise also. So... Let's start at the very basic, basic end of it. Um, when I first got on the air, all I had was a two-meter handheld. In fact, my father uh, used it to bribe me to take my technician license because I really wasn't interested in VHF and UHF. You know, I got my license because I wanted to talk on HF, uh, most specifically 10 meters. Uh, having come from that other service we don't talk about, uh, it just impressed me no end the places you could talk to on very little power on 10 meters, so I was captivated by that. But my father used a 2-meter handheld, a, uh, uh, what was it, ICOM 209RH, which was absolutely beautiful. And I decided I had to have it, so I went and studied and took my tech test. Well, only having a 5-watt handy talking and needing to get over the, uh, uh, get over the hurdles of being a new ham and not having any antennas and not a whole lot of money to buy any, I started out very simple uh, inside the rental house that I lived in at the time. Uh, I took a metal TV tray and stuck a quarter wave antenna to it and used that for uh, several months and was able to connect or talk to uh, the majority of the people around the county. In fact, uh, there was probably one or two repeaters I could not hit. 
that was the very basic end of it when I first got started. Uh, it was very similar when I got started on packet a year or so later, except for in that case, instead of a metal TV tray in the living room, I used a metal trash can out in the yard. So, <clears throat> the challenges people run across today, and I'm sorry about that, all this stuff, y'all, uh, uh, clearing my throat. Um, I spent some time in East Texas this last week, and the pine forest just does not agree with me. Anyway, moving on up the scale, uh, yes, I've lived in places where they didn't want me to put poles up, attach anything to the house, and that kind of stuff. But more than anything else, apartments. Apartments are a real challenge. Now, amateur radio operators being inventive fellows that they are, I have seen everything out there from uh, HF antennas made out of hummingbird feeders and flower pots. Um, one guy out there used a clothes hanger and a lot of dark colored wire and uh, a ladder line because it blended in real well with the background so you had to be right up on it to be able to see it. Uh, but as far as apartments, I overcame my difficulties in the apartments by, uh, I had a piece of angle aluminum that I went and took a quarter wavelength uh, mobile antenna stinger and mounted it to an NMO mount on this piece of angle aluminum and nailed it to the wooden rail out on my apartment balcony. I was living on the second, second floor at the time and then running the cable inside to the house. Luckily, we were up on a ridge, and Dallas has a couple of ridges that pretty much surround it. And I was up on top of the ridge on the north side, so I could see from my apartment window out past downtown Dallas out into far south Dallas. So my coverage was extremely good. In that same apartment, uh, I didn't have the facilities because it the uh, front of the apartment faced out towards the manager's office and out towards the parking lot to be able to uh, sneak anything out there. So, uh, on 10 meters, and at the time I was doing this kind of stuff, I actually mounted a dipole in a an L shape on the wall of my bedroom and was able to work the FM repeaters without any problem at all. The one down in Austin, the one's up in uh, New Jersey, some of the ones out in the Bahamas, and that kind of stuff. And uh, was even to make a few reasonable uh, sideband contacts further down the band. Uh, luckily, the person I lived in this apartment with was fairly understanding because I also had a 20-meter dipole antenna that one tip of it stretched from the corner of the bedroom uh, all the way to the other end, which reached the corner of the dining room. And luckily the feed line fell right at the bedroom door, so I could run it up the bedroom door. Now, innovation is the key on this kind of thing, because uh, there are covenants and tenants associations and deed restrictions and all this other stuff. Uh, I worked with one fella that we went over to his house, dug a hole in the ground, went and found a glass Coke bottle and filled it up with sand and set a 50-foot push-up pole on top of it with a little American flag on top. He could not have an antenna, but he could have a flagpole. A 50-foot flagpole with probably a one-foot long U.S. flag on it. At this point, we drove ground wire in the ground and uh, took a good piece of coax and attached the center to the pole and uh, the braid to the uh, the ground rod, and he was able to work quite a few countries on this thing because it just about came out to a quarter wavelength antenna on 40 meters. He could get it to tune down on 75 with pretty good results also. He was having to use a tuner with this, and um, I have have read in several of the books, manuals that I have over here, that you, it's pretty easy to fashion a loading coil or a matching network to attach to these poles to bring them into 
resonance on the bands that you want to use. So there's a couple ideas right there. Uh, let me tell you about the dipole in the apartment. I was able to work 23 countries on Amtor in about six or 23 states. I'm sorry, 23 states on Amtor in probably about six months using that setup and only working HF in the middle of the night so that uh, I didn't tear up channel 47 on the cable hookup we had in that building. Okay, and as far as outside, there's lots of ways. Like I said, I've seen uh, antennas made out of hummingbird feeders, uh, just all sorts of stuff, and it's about the way it looks. If it doesn't look like your standard antenna, then the neighbors probably aren't going to be bright enough to figure it out. Um, the gentleman with the dark colored wire and stuff, I, I believe that's one of the reasons I don't catch any flack from my neighbors, even though I would tell them uh, to, uh, uh, I would hand them a quarter and tell them to go make a phone call. But the fact that I don't get any flack off of them is uh, probably due to the fact that currently I have minimized my antenna installations here at uh, resonant frequency. And the one I have in there right now is G5RV, which is made out of dark colored wire and uh, the feed lines are dark colored and that kind of stuff. So from more than 50 feet away, it looks like there's just a pole sticking up behind the house. Uh, someday I'll put all the dipoles up. At one time I had a dipole up for every band I worked. And uh, it made the wife crazy, but the neighbors didn't grab it. Anyway, so I digress. So, as far as out in the yard is concerned, lower is better. Um, hidden is better. I've uh, been with guys, I've known guys that have loaded up chain link fences, made sure that uh, all the connections on the fences were good, and used a tuner and loaded their chain link fences. I've even run 160 meters off a long wire that was only about 7 feet off the ground attached to the trees around the yard. So there's some possible ideas for, for outside. Uh, even with NVIS, I know one guy that runs a, an NVIS style antenna and when he has it set up, it's only about a foot off the ground. Really high radiation angle, not much of a DX antenna, but if you're looking to work close in, that's an option also. So, what if you've got these things and your neighbors are watching and you, you got your radios and you want to talk on them, but you really can't get anything outside? Well, okay. You're in a house. The house is yours. The uh, neighbors don't know what's going on inside the house. The best option and the most popular option has been to take a dipole antenna and put it up in your attic. Now... An attic being pretty much wood, and as far as I know, asphalt's not that reactive to uh, HF radio frequencies. Uh, I've heard of people getting really good results by attaching a dipole to the uh, joists in their roof. Now, <clears throat> some people say my roof's not long enough, or uh, how am I going to do that? You know, depending on the size of your house, you can get a 20 meter, a, a 40 meter, or 75 meter antenna in your attic. And in some cases, if you can get a bigger antenna in your attic than you actually have attic for. Now, you have to be careful of wiring because wiring does cause a little bit of distortion on your signal or it distorts the signal. It doesn't make the signal distorted audibly. Uh, what I mean is that the signal bouncing off the wires is going to head off in a different direction. You may run into situations where you have a piece of wire in your attic which is the same is a quarter wavelength on whatever band you're operating. I used to have that problem with the telephones here until I made some adjustments and now it's not a big issue. 
But something else that uh, they neglect to tell you about the dipole antenna is those legs do not have to be absolutely straight. So if you have to kink them around a little bit, you know, 90 degree here, maybe another 90 degree there, that kind of stuff, just to get them fit, to fit long ways, uh, doesn't really hurt them that much. And you may have to trim a little extra or add a little extra to the end of the antenna to get it to be resonant at the frequency you're looking for. But it uh, can work that way. So if you're, so the dipole antenna, it's a really good option. Now, if you're wanting more, if you're more innovative, more inventive, and you have the time to do it, there are other ways. Um... AEA and MFJ used to put out, and I think MFJ may still put it out, a loop antenna which was designed for mobile operation, mobile HF operation. It's a horizontal loop antenna, and um, it's good from 20 meters. Well, the AEA, I believe, was 20, 15, and 10. The uh, MFJ, I believe, is 30, 20, 15, and 10. And you can take one of those and mount them in your attic. You know, once they're up there, you're, you're pretty much ready to go. They're going to work as well as they would in mobile operations for the most part. You might have a little difficulty getting out when it's raining outside, but you probably don't want to be transmitting then anyway. Or you can take that same dipole antenna and build some loads for it. Or... Yeah, I built some loads for it. I was going to say traps, but only traps if you're looking to make a multi-band antenna. And I've seen J-poles mounted in the attic. That's another option for you VHF, UHF guys. If you have enough room, uh, you can mount those J-poles. You know, take a couple of take a couple conduit clamps and mount them to ceiling joist, and uh, you're good to go. You know, there's not going to be any great options by using the attic but it'll keep your neighbors off of you for the most part uh, I've seen people also in cases where they needed to uh, do a stealthy antenna inf installation to go out and solder their metal gutters together and use their metal gutters as radiators you know, a lot of the stuff we're talking about here is going to depend on you having some sort of matching network in line. Now, for the new guys, matching network, for the most part, is probably going to mean an antenna tuner, which is a misnomer, and we'll talk about that in a different episode. But <clears throat> the automatic antenna tuners, in my opinion, are not as good for doing this kind of stuff as a manual antenna tuner. I like to be able to dial it in where I want it because every automatic antenna tuner I've ever had has brought them down to to one to one and that was the only place they were going to tune them down to and there you go. But in most cases you find that 1.5 to one is better. Well, I digress again. Back to hidden antennas. So you, you don't have the option of... Uh, doing some of the other things that we've described so far if you don't have those options you know just about any kind of pole in the backyard is going to work as an antenna and yeah they may be shorter but you know there are guys out there working 75 mobile on an antenna that's not but four or five feet long so uh, you can do it at the very least as good a job as they are so we, we've examined some of these things so let's progress a little further in the hidden antenna thing um, one of the biggest misnomers or one of the biggest things that's misunderstood by amateur radio operators and a lot of it's because of the excessive amount of powers at one time that people had to use to, to make contacts on HF is the fact that you do not have to have your wire antennas made out of number 12 stranded wire or number 10 stranded wire and you know if you're running three kilowatts or five kilowatts I can see that 
for your own safety. But lower power levels, which most of us are running lower power levels, most of us don't have an amplifier. That's a piece of equipment that uh, we haven't acquired yet. I myself don't use them. I can only think of one situation where I thought I needed one and I was able to do what I needed to do anyway. That was back during Katrina. On lower power levels, you can use smaller diameter wire. Now the advantage of being able to use smaller diameter wire is that at more than a few feet, smaller diameter wire is not really noticeable. And the only reason I bring this up is because I did know an amateur radio operator who has since moved up north that lived in some apartments over here in Dallas. And even though there was not a back door to his apartment, there were windows that faced the rear of the building. The rear of the building faced a wood fence which had shrubs up against it, shrubbery. And what he did was he went down to his local radio shack and purchased some magnet wire copper magnet wire and built himself a fairly long hundred and some odd feet I remember or I believe the I think I remember it was about a hundred and some odd feet and he fastened it to the side of the building up above head height up about six and a half seven feet run it across to the bushes and then ran it down the fence line along the bushes and he operated for almost two years that way until he ended up moving out of those apartments now we can go ahead and gauge what he was able to do by somebody who's got a hot rod station or we can gauge it by what an average ham does and as far as the ham, average ham radio operator making contacts he was right on in there. He worked several DXCC countries. He worked all states on a couple of bands. Uh, most contests, he was in there fighting with the rest of them. And uh, he was just doing a great job with this little old dinky wire that the extra classes back 20 years ago would have told you wasn't going to work. Now, let me make this statement. As far as anything amateur related, I have always looked at it and said, okay, if I do such and such, it may not work. But it's not working now, so I don't have anything to lose. My suggestion would be, if you have a difficult antenna situation, take some time to assess it. Once you've taken a little time to assess it, start to think, how can you solve that? Some people are better at winding, uh, winding coils than other people are. Uh, some people are better at working with wire than other people are. Some people are better at seeing how something can work as an antenna where other people can't. And a good example of that is I had a dipole. Uh, I built it as an emergency deployment antenna. It was made out of two PL259s, a T connector, and a barrel connector, and some zip cord uh, lamp wire. And I was told that the lamp wire would never work. It's not good. It ain't going to hold up. Whatever. Well, I had built it as an emergency deployment antenna anyway. It was a 40 meter dipole. When I got back on the air about six years ago, I didn't have any wire or anything available, and I found it in a box, and I put it up in the air, and I used it for three years. And the only reason I took it down is because I was simplifying my antenna situation. Instead of having two 20-meter dipoles, a 40, a 75, uh, two two-meter antennas, and all this mess, I decided to pare down the number of antennas I had over my house, so I put up a G5 RV which has been doing me a really good job. So, without knowing 
exactly what a particular situation is, it's hard for me to define what would be a great antenna for, you know, keeping the neighbors happy. What I will say to you is be inventive. If you've got a pretty good size attic, put you some dipoles up. You know, at the very least, uh, who is it? Yezu. Yezu builds an antenna, which goes with uh, the FT897, FT857, that kind of stuff, which is an adjustable antenna. Uh, the coil adjusts for different bands. Uh, screwdriver antennas. Bug catchers. Uh, you know, a lot of these mobile antennas can be pressed into service as uh, base antennas because you're just trying to get that signal out and you really don't want to hear more than you can talk to and you really don't want to talk to more than you can hear. So, a dipole, uh, a loaded whip, just about any of this stuff can work to your advantage when trying to get on the air in an apartment, in a rent house, in a house that has covenants and restrictions and that kind of stuff. You know, I made the comment when I started this segment, I can't understand why somebody would, but you know, a lot of the guys I know that have covenants and restrictions and that kind of stuff, thinking back on it now, uh, they moved into their houses several years before they ever became ham radio operators. So towers and poles would not have even been a consideration for them at the time. And uh, now they're looking for solutions. Now, I'm, I'm going to study up on this subject some more. Uh, I've spent some time studying on it in the last couple of weeks. Uh, you know, the continuing saga of death, destruction, and lack of sleep is still going here at Resident Frequency. But I will go ahead and study up on it some more. And if I think I have enough information that will be helpful, I will sure enough make another segment on this. Because... There are a lot of folks out there, the new hams most especially. I, I, you guys, we want y'all to get on there. I'm an advanced class radio officer, operator simply because I haven't had time to go retake the test I took to become an advanced class radio operator. And uh, I've been in the hobby 20 years, 19 years. And I've seen a lot of stuff. I've had to improvise, adapt, and overcome in a lot of situations. And I'll tell you right now, coming from somebody like me, we want you new guys to get on the air. Get out there. Figure out ways to make it happen. Because uh, it's not rocket science. It's just amateur radio. <laughs> and uh, I'll finish this off with a story that uh, a buddy of mine over here keeps telling me. I keep bringing up Andy, WY5V. He was uh, a guest on one of our early shows. And he and I will get to talking about stealth antennas and hidden antennas and that kind of stuff. And he gets to telling me uh, right up here about a, about a mile or so from where I live, there's an apartment complex. And when Andy and his wife first got married, they moved into that apartment complex. And... Uh, he was there a little while, started getting that HF itch, and had to, had to figure out a way. Well, it just so happened back behind him, there was a light pole in an empty field where the kids had pretty much built themselves a little baseball diamond. So he went out there, and he strung himself up a sloper and used one of the bases, which was a big, old, big chunk of cement, as the tie down for the end of his sloper and he would work hf out of this apartment and everything would be lovely until two situations happened uh one is swrs would start going uh or will go would go nuts when he sat down at the radio and he'd walk on out there and he would find that the children had moved the tie down for his antenna and he would move it back into place 
and go back in and operate. The other situation would be he would be operating and the SWR would start climbing and dropping, climbing and dropping. And he would look out the window and there would be a, a puppy dog out there close to close to the base. And, well, it's a family show. Keep it clean. The uh, puppy dog was watering the base and it was causing the SWRs to fluctuate. So as soon as it dried out, it would uh, be fine. But that's another one of those cases where amateur radios improvise and adapt and work towards solutions on these problems. Now, if any of you guys got any specific uh, questions concerning stealth or hidden antennas, please don't hesitate to get a hold of me. Because if we can't put it in a podcast, then we'll do a little research and we'll ship an email back to you. Uh, at some point, I'm going to get in the position, I've had a couple of people offer help as far as the podcast is concerned. And as soon as I get in a position, I'm going to get in touch with those folks and we're going to try and do something where uh, it's easier for y'all to communicate, not only with us, but with each other. And I'm not exactly sure what we're going to do in that direction just yet. But until next time, if you, uh, like I said, if you have any questions, you get a hold of me at kb5jbv at gmail.com. You call me on the NE5R Port C uh, D-Star machine. California. Uh, just however you think you can get a hold of me, get a hold That's of me. And we'll try and help you work out that situation. So with that, we're going to go ahead and uh, see if we can't move on to the next segment. California That's the place I wanna live I'm going to California I'm gonna live on Beverly Hill idiot operator malfunctions we have here at Resonant Frequency, the Amateur Radio Podcast. This is the second time I've had to do this segment, y'all. So, y'all take it easy on me. Don't write anything tacky on the web. You know, I I can't help it. I just can't help it. I've been hitting the head too many times is what's going on. Alrighty. Well, it looks like we got another one just about in the can. Let me tell you, I, I can't get this thing down under an hour to save my life, but I'm still chipping away at it. We'll, we'll see if we can make it happen. Okay, Frapper Map. Yeah. Frapper Map and donations, y'all go on over to the blog page and uh, stick a pin in the Frapper Map. I'll try and get it back up to the top. If it's not up there, y'all go ahead and look down at the bottom because it's static down at the bottom of the page. And uh, stick a pin in. Let us know you're listening. I got to look in. There's been 680 downloads. I got to look. Yeah, during the break, I was looking at that. 680 downloads of the last episode since we put it out. And uh, I just love to see those numbers grow. I really do. And according to the Frapper map, we've got about 1,400 people. I don't see that many pins, but that's what it says are people signed up. So, uh, y'all go on, stick a pen in, and, uh, you know, do what you can to make it a little unusual so I can see them. 
If you want to send a donation to Resonant Frequency, the Amateur Radio Podcast, there's two ways you can do it at the blog site. Uh, go ahead and click the donation button up at the corner of the page from Donate via PayPal. And you can do e-checks, uh, credit cards, uh, just about any way you can pay for a piece of ham, ham equipment on eBay. We'll, we can take a donation that way. Also, make sure uh, if you're purchasing books, and they do have amateur radio books over at um, over at Amazon.com and some other stuff. Uh, y'all go ahead and go to the blog page first and click through from the blog page. That would really help us out, and it doesn't doesn't even cost the uh, dollar for the soda that we're always talking about. Okay. Um, if y'all have any questions, show suggestions, uh, anything else, y'all give me a yell at kb5jbv at gmail.com. kb5jbv at gmail.com. For those of y'all hunting me on the repeater, uh, on one of the D-Star repeaters, you go ahead and dial in Kilo Bravo 5 Juliet Bravo Victor at the November Echo 5 Romeo Repeater Porch C in Mesquite, Texas. Uh, I can walk out on my porch and look straight at the tower it's on. And that's probably the best way to get a hold of me now, and uh, or at least on voice. And I am in possession of a 91 AD, so... That covers us in the, in the truck, in the house, and uh, moving back and forth between the two. With that, uh, we'd like to thank Lost Lonely Boys, Charlie Musselwhite and Manish Boys from over at IOTA Promo Net. Y'all go over and check that out. Uh, check out some of the music over there. And that's at uh, iotapromonet.com. And that would be the IOTA Alliance or IOTA Promo Net. We'd also like to thank uh, Midlife Crisis, and uh, if y'all hear a piece of music y'all that I play on this podcast and you think it'd probably do better as a, an opening piece, let me know. I think we need to give uh, give old Dave Ski a rest. And we'd like to, da- li- like to thank Dave Henderson for uh, the piece that closes our show. And with that, I'd like to thank the producer, director, writer, sound editor, and a technical uh, specialist on this particular project, which would be me. I'd also like to thank the bookkeeper, uh, text file editor, uh, all-around good gal, Brenda, for putting up with this stuff. You know, she is uh, really understanding about my hobbies, and uh, when I tell her about y'all, she gets really excited, really excited over that. In fact, she even gets more excited when she sees those donations come in. That way I can go ask for that bigger storage. Alrighty. Well, with that, uh, I think we've pretty much got it covered. So it's time to drop this one in the can. So with that, 73, and uh, y'all take care of yourselves and your family. and uh, We'll catch you next time. We gotta go.